over a century. Hundreds of millions in pirate gold has been hidden here on the remote island of Adak, Alaska. And welcome to another edition of the Agency Podcast. I'm your Toronto agent, Eugene Napick. Hi, and I'm your Chicago agent in Chicago. Your Chicago agent in Chicago. Yeah, you threw me with the uh, six five four thing. I know. I started at six just to just to be wacky. Yeah, crazy. (laughs) Might have to keep that. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I have a nice giant cup of tea and um, just settling in for the morning. Glad we're starting this pretty early. I'm kind of excited. I feel well rested. I never feel rested when we do a podcast. Nice. I always feel tired. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. How's things going around there? Well, the other day I was out walking the partners. Yeah. And around the corner on Jasmine, uh, we have... uh, uh, a couple lives there. Uh, could call them our neighbors, uh, Suzanne and Ed. And um, I know them because they walk dogs. I walk dogs. Yeah. All the time. Well, yeah. they have a plum tree in their front yard. And this year it had the most silly, ridiculous crop of yellow plums Ooh. you could imagine. So the toll for walking past their house is <laughs> re- receiving an enormous bag of plums. How wonderful. So, oh, yes. And they've really supplied the whole neighborhood with plums. It's crazy. Oh, I so I, I got home and I we started eating plums because they're super delicious. And yeah. yellow plums, when I was growing up, my dad had a yellow plum tree in our backyard. They were the same Ontario yellow plums. They're super yummy, always my favorite. And when I eat them, it brings me back to my childhood because it's the same ones my dad grew. That's so cool. But there's a lot of plums. Are you going to make some crumble or... Pudding well, or flan. What I did is yesterday yeah. I made chutney. Oh, what a good idea. That's a so great idea. I thought we would start off with a comfort food diner uh, segment. And I talked about how I went about making the chutney. Okay, great. I've never made chutney before. Oh, I love it. But that. I figured it's not rocket surgery. It's not. And so I started looking up recipes and I realized that <laughs> Really, it's a method. It's an approach. And you can put in almost anything you want in your chutney. So what I started with was uh, a half liter bottle of cider vinegar. And I poured it into a pot. I added um, a ton of plums. I just um, cut out the pits. I didn't peel them. I cut out the pits, chopped them roughly. Toss them into the vinegar. I uh, also added some, I think, three Granny Smith apples chopped up. Mm-hmm. I did take the peels off the uh, the Granny Smith apples. Um, I added three onions chopped up. Um, in the yard, we still have some rhubarb happening. So I took two stalks of rhubarb and I thought, what the hell? Let's see if rhubarb's good at it. And I chopped that up and threw it in. I added a chili from the garden. Um, three cloves of uh, garlic from the garden and brown sugar. I don't know, three or four cups of brown sugar, like lots of it. Yeah. Then I put in a heaping teaspoon of cumin. 
um, uh, more like a level teaspoon of salt. And I put in three whole cardamom pods and three star anise stars. Nice. And I turned on the heat to medium and I just slowly cooked everything down. Uh, it took me about two hours to achieve chutney hood. <laughs> and you know, you've achieved chutney hood according to all the sources I could find. If you take a wooden spoon and pull it across your chutney right to the bottom of the pot, you should be able to see the bottom of the pot for a second or two before it fills in. Nice. That's how you know your chutney is ready. Um, it's super yummy, Candy. Oh, good. I'm so glad. That's great. It is, it's super yummy. It's it's spicy. It's yeah. tart. It's sweet. It's complicated. Yeah. Uh, it would be great with, well, great on a piece of toast or a Melba toast or something. Also fantastic with grilled meat. Mm -hmm. Really good with any kind of meat. Yeah. Um, you could actually add it to anything. Add it to some rice, whatever. It's super delicious. And a uh, big thank you to uh, to Suzanne and Ed for, uh, for laying all those plums on me. And Very so, of nice. course, I brought them some chutney this morning. Great. And, How'd and, you preserve it? Um, I, um, I sterilized some little jam jars and... I uh, put it in jam jars and I did not do the full canning, which means that you have to refrigerate it. Okay. Um, but the way I look at it is it's just like jam. And when you open a jar of jam and you put it in the refrigerator, four months later, it's still good jam. Yeah. I figure my chutney's going to last just as long. Good. Uh, but I think you need to refrigerate it. Uh, I didn't do like the full lid seal. Uh, I found I had some jam jars that just had a twist lids. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. I think it's going to be fine. Good. Sounds lovely. Yeah. So very, very nice. Pretty, pretty delicious. Pretty nice treat. And so I, uh, this morning, um, uh, Sheila gave away some chutney to a couple of neighbors. Uh, I dropped some at another neighbor around the corner, plus uh, some for uh, Suzanne and Ed, and we're uh, we're making friends. Nice. With very... uh, with chutney, uh, just like they made friends with the plums. So, so I. I think everyone in the neighborhood is trying to figure out what to do with their plums because, yeah. you know, there's only so many plums you can eat before they get overripe yeah. and the fruit flies come. Yummy. Oh, I made yeah. some vegetable korma this week. So I'm, I usually make Indian food about once a month, at least. There you go. Now it's this so chutney good. would be great with vegetable yes, korma. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Definitely. Just about perfect. Yep. So yummy. I <gasps> think, you know, you can really adjust the spices to whatever you like. Yeah. Um, I use this. I really like star anise. It's one of my favorite flavors. I'm sketchy about it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I put, I put that in because I really like it. And yeah. I put in the cardamom pods because I really, really like cardamom. Well, I love cardamom. Yeah. But I'm there's not something about the flavor of, of cardamom. You know what cardamom is really fantastic in. Oh, Have fun. you ever had, ever had fin bun? I don't know what that is. It's a Finnish um, bread. Okay. Um, and typically it's, well, it's a, it's a, like a sweet bread that's made with cardamom. And typically it has uh, some icing dribbled on the top. Oh, okay. Sounds uh, good. Yeah. But it has a really 
like the first thing you go is, oh, it's got cardamom. It's super delicious. I love this. Right? And it's oh, if yeah. if you're a cardamom lover, you keep eating it until there's no more fin bun left. <laughs> which is why I oh. don't make fin bun very often. Um, I have a really good recipe <laughs> that comes from um, uh, our friend, uh, friend of the podcast, Jennifer Arnott, the fabulous yep. gardener. Yes. Um, she uh, she gave me her recipe. She grew up in Sudbury and a uh, big Finnish community up there. And uh, she got a recipe from um, somebody Finnish who makes it. Oh. And so I've tried hers. Well, yeah. I've tried the stuff that she bakes, which is super good, even better than the stuff I bake because I didn't bake it. Right. Um, so hers is extra delicious. <laughs> uh, but uh, as I say, I don't make it very often because I just keep, I, I can't get enough of the cardamom. So yeah. I just keep eating the stuff until... I've had way too much bread. And you'll make icing for that too? Um, I usually don't make icing for it. Usually I have it icing less, but um, usually you see it with just a drizzle of icing on the top. Like hot cross bun drizzle or something like that. Something like that. Usually people put some kind of drizzle to add that little bit of sweetness. Well, there is quite a history of um, Scandinavian countries, Finland, Dutch, with um, Asian and East Indian uh spices so it makes sense uh dutch have a recipe nasi goren which is like a dirty rice but with uh <clears throat> kind of a flavor of a curry slight flavor <laughs> so it's kind of cool kind of interesting crossovers back there yeah way back in the way back machine which reminds me i was gonna look for the spice the world of spice something like the history of spice an old pbs show from like centuries ago and I was hoping I might find it on YouTube. I'm going to have to look for that. I think you would like it too. Oh, yeah. If you find it, uh, send I'll me a link. That, I, yeah. I would I'm love to, uh... to look for that. And then I was going to... I mean, to really, go... the history of spice is the history of colonization, isn't it? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's really what that the history it traces, which is pretty fascinating. It is fascinating. Sad and fascinating. Yes, at the same and, time. Um, and then also positive because we're sharing flavors and enjoying. It's one way to respect somebody else's... Um, background and culture and economy is is respecting their their food Mm -hmm. and learning about their food maybe i'd like to think it is um uh yeah so hey i got caught up on that uh shania twain doc that uh, you you told me about yes okay um and it was pretty fascinating to me i I i'm going to say up front i've never been a shania twain fan and i I always just assumed that she was product. Um, oh. That there was like uh, the the corporation groomed her and chose her music, and it's all to me. It's all it's very corporate pop music that she it's makes. Kind of the opposite, actually. Originally, it turns it turns yeah. out <laughs> it turns out she's a pretty interesting person, eh? She's Re- such an interesting person. Super driven, super yeah. ambitious. Yeah, I mean, who? Who has the ambition to be like a pop superstar? Being the country superstar wasn't enough. It's like, yeah. I, I need the pop superstardom. Well, it's I like cross you and I with this podcast. We're super ambitious. Well, yeah, we are. We want to <laughs> try to get more than five or 10 downloads a day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and um, the odd yeah. email. Don't forget to email us. Odd email. That's right. You know, at, uh, I, at the agency.podcast yeah. at gmail.com. 
that's right. is where you send the that's the email machine address and we're <laughs> for waiting empire, for our empire that's yeah right. you know, um yeah i really enjoyed it too um one thing you know it's funny because when i'm not living in canada i really miss canadian content and i kind of watched it just for that I started out with that. Plus, I had watched her talk show, not a talk show, kind of a reality show she had in Oprah, which crossed some of the part about her losing her marriage, losing her voice, and some of that. So I was pretty curious to watch how they put this together. Also, I love music documentaries. I don't have to like the musician. Exactly. I really enjoy it that. It gives you insight, yeah. right? So um, much insight and more and also for like, music. For me... I have way more respect for her now just because I see how fantastically independent and creative and what a force of nature she She really really is. is. She really is. Like the, the, you know, she was a kid supporting her family by playing music. I mean, really a fantastic story. It's touching. It really is a fantastic story. And I mean, she's very, very talented at writing a song and she did have a creative partner who she was married to for a long time. And all of that part was interesting, too, because he had an affair with her best friend. And now she's married to that ex-husband of that best friend. Crazy, huh? It's, it is crazy. It's very crazy. And I guess that's life. Except and- it's not that unusual, right? No. I mean, wasn't there no. like a, um, uh, like Eric Clapton in the Beatles? And- Correct. Correct. Yeah. You're hanging around. Everyone's hanging around the same people, and so it doesn't work out with why you try out another, right? Right, and you might be seeing that person cheating on that one and feeling sorry for them. You start to comfort them, and I think that's what happened with Shania Twain was the the two exes were comforting each other, and they were already friends, and then they probably ended up marrying. Um, Yeah, so many interesting things. She's a great songwriter, even if it's not your style of pop music. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, I do. Go ahead. My one feeling about it was that her her ambition in some ways for me yeah. her ambition was the wrong ambition her ambition was to be the biggest star mm-hmm. i think the better ambition is to make the music that nourishes her the most well she's lucky she got to do both maybe I, maybe that's the case yeah i mean her songs are you know i mean man i feel like a woman has to be one of the greatest songs ever written and uh, definitely helped the uh drag queen business uh it being a popular to see a drag queen back in the day when that was a hit doing that song was terrific oh, i bet oh yeah dressed like shania i mean she is definitely one of those divas that people dress like well, and really, she had the, the look of her times. Oh, my God. How many gorgeous. people had exactly the same hair as Shania yeah. at that time? Like, yeah. loads of people. As soon it's, as I saw it, it's like, I don't know how many people I, I've known who had exactly the same hairstyle. Yeah. It's funny because I also watched a show with uh, Dolly Parton. It's also on Netflix. And I kind of watched them within a week of each other. And in the early part of this documentary, over and over again, they montage how people talked about how they looked, how Shia looked and how Dolly Parton looked. If they'd be in an interview, instead of talking to them about the songwriting process or, yes. you know, where's your inspiration come from? It's like, you look great. You look great. So it's interesting, the sexism involved. Well, and, yeah, but of uh, course, I'm, looking great was part of what, what both of them were selling. Yes. It's part of the package, right? Yeah, that's true. It's true. And people want to see yeah. that person. They want to see how they look. 
Yeah. They want no, to see that true. style. And actually, the thing I liked about Shania Twain back in the day was her videos. They would show up in amongst all the other videos I would be watching. I'd leave the the um, MTV and much music on while I was at home doing doing my stuff around the house and, you know, listening to the music and check out a new video. And her videos were fantastic. Apparently, she did a lot of the editing on those videos herself. Yeah pretty cool right very cool i mean yeah. really i have lots more respect for her having seen the thing and seen what she went through and seen really how precocious she was and right. and just how competent she was she is at what she does it's right and pretty there, fantastic isn't there something kind of interesting and maybe something you and i could even wonder about is to be able to you know we mentioned that with bruce springsteen a couple of times over the years in the podcast is that he knew he was locking horns with the great his intention was to write songs that captured a vibe and contested, say, Bob Dylan or Woody Guthrie, right? And she was doing the same thing. She wanted a massive pop song, or at least she wanted to conquer originally Nashville. That mm -hmm. takes a lot of guts to go to Nashville, too. And, um, and to be a stranger, be Canadian, you're not Western. And uh, to try and write those songs that capture the imagination of an audience. And a big audience that are, and then you might go, well, that's a universal. You're writing a song that has a universal emotional content. That's how you do it. You don't write about something like uh, esoteric. You write about something that a lot of people feel about. Well, sure. If you want to reach a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And how does that play with making art? Do we try to, to make an image that would appeal to that? You and I probably don't do that. Well, I mean, there's there's those choices to be made, you know, in the art world, uh, there's two games, right? There's the game that very few people play, get to play. It's like a it's a it's a closed country club, right? To get an admission yeah. to the closed country club. Yes. Um, and that's a whole different activity than what you or I do, I think. Mm -hmm. um, it's the game of being the celebrity in a way uh it's weird yeah um, and it's weird enough for me that i no longer really understand how to function in our art distribution system yeah i yeah. really don't yeah um i well, i felt like a small a, distribution system that's for one thing it's well except except if except if you're in the game if yeah. you're allowed to be in the game well then you're in the big distribution system but sure. but you're also in order to stay there you have to play by those rules and and for instance i would never want to play by those rules because and for me what i produced as a painter was my baby yeah and i didn't i didn't want that to be tainted by anything i wanted that to have a kind of uh, purity for me okay okay now you know that's a tricky topic because i i would say that i think back to songwriters a pop artist i think they do feel those are their babies too but the difference is they're willing to have those babies be shared um or or sold uh with art what are those what are those thin margins again they would be having a review by a um a theorist you would be curated by somebody to put in a show. You would probably 
often they were had friendships with the people who wrote the reviews about their artwork over the years. There's a relationship that is garnered between that artist and the person writing the criticism, the art review. And then you're having the art review at the right time, right place with some press, with a gallery that draws audiences. Yes. So that is that is very hard to do. You could open up a gallery in Chicago right now, and you're going to be lucky if you get people to an opening. How are you going to generate that opening without a kind of cachet, a cultural cachet? One, you've That's got right. money from your family, or you're banked behind you, some kind of bank behind you to pay the rent, whether you sell the art or not. And then you want to get the attention to get people is, in. Is there a sign-up sheet for, for that? <laughs> yeah. Just asking for a friend. I know. And then you've got to sell it. You've got to have the people that would buy it. And you've got to have a story and tell them why they would like this art in their home. Yeah. It can't just, it, it isn't just about it being visually appealing. you got to sell it whether or not it's visually appealing. Yeah. And for me, I, I would need someone to sell it because I'm <laughs> certainly no good about talking about why people would want to have my art in, right. in their home. I, I would convince them they wouldn't. Yeah. So, no, no, you don't want this stuff in your home. Yeah. You know, even though Shania Twain and Dolly Parton, they were in on their appearance. They chose their clothes. They chose how their hair looked. And they were, I mean, they show, you can see both those women in documentaries doing their own makeup and hair, as well as having a, a, a crew that also did their makeup. It's still inappropriate. I, I do my own makeup and hair, yeah, by the way. It's Just still inappropriate me. for journalists to comment on their appearance. You know, it's funny. And that makes me think about, I watched Trainwreck Woodstock 99 yesterday. Did you hear anything about that? Do you remember when Woodstock had a 1999, they had a big festival? I was vaguely aware. It aware turned into of a it. shit show. Like it was very expensive. There wasn't enough water and food or places for people to cool down. Oh, just and, like the original Woodstock. Correct. That's actually, that's true. Only in this one, they burnt the place to the ground and destroyed all the trucks and the vendors buildings and stuff. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was interesting because the whole thing happens and in a way that the anger was because of, um, you know, someone made a comment that Fight Club came out that year. They, they thought that was part of the reason why these guys were all angry. Well, no, the concert was in July. Fight Club didn't come out till September. I mean, I don't know. Maybe all those guys read the novel. I doubt it. <laughs> I don't think so. But the, you had a lot of frat boys and jocks at this show with a lot of uh, definitely anger issues and drinking and partying and just going crazy but by the end of it even though they showed women throughout you know a lot of nudity and people freely being naked or taking off their bikini tops at the end they honed in on the fact that several rapes had happened there was no protection not enough security and women were being handled while they were dancing and and sitting on people's shoulders or in the mosh pit people were groping them so it's even though the women wanted to take off their top that doesn't mean you get to grope them you know, it was a very interesting uh, documentary. One I didn't think I was going to watch. I passed by it a few times. And I noticed somebody reviewed it on Facebook, one of my friends on Facebook, or someone I know on Facebook. So I thought, oh, um, yeah, she, she was an actress that I had done a little ex, uh, film work with a few years ago. And I saw she reviewed it. So I thought, well, I will watch it then. Anyway, it's just kind of interesting. I, I recommend both the Shania Twain and the Woodstock train wreck on netflix actually they're both very interesting uh music videos oh, right. 
also on on Netflix right now. Netflix has got some interesting things on right yeah, now. Good, good thing because I thought I canceled. Um, <laughs> Apparently, I still have it. Have you had a look yet at a show called Clark? I sure have. Speaking of Scandinavian content, is your version, by the way, um, subtitled or dubbed? My version uh, is dubbed. Mine was dubbed, I believe. Yeah, and uh, well, normally dubbing kind of weirds me out. Um, it, it's very well done, and I and I forgot that it was dubbed very very quickly. Yeah, I thought it was well done too. So I, it's I watched it's a, that just about in one sitting. It's a series about uh, we haven't seen it all yet, but it's about Clark Olafsson, uh, and he was Sweden's most notorious gangster and the man behind the Stockholm syndrome, apparently. Or, or theory, um, yeah. This tells his story, but it tells his story in a really fun, creative yes, way. I the editing is just brilliant. In the first 10 minutes, it just drew me right into this. I wanted to find yeah. out all about who is this Clark Olafson guy. Yes, yes. Well, it's the director is Jonas Ackerlin, who I'm very familiar with because he's made some of my favorite music videos over the years. Uh, he made Ray of Light with Madonna. He's made with Beyonce. Katy Perry, video, Katy Perry videos. He's a, a extremely accomplished director. Uh, so maybe and that's where some of the maker. fast edits are 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 coming from. Is that well, video world? Um, beautifully done. It it's just the, done. the story is just beautifully told. It is in every respect. I t I hated the guy. Um, he was annoying as hell. But I love the docu. I love the series. Yes. Is that possible? I really love the series. I mean, I hated Walter White. I watched the whole thing. Um, I hated him, but the actor is fantastic. It's, yes, he is. He's from an incredibly successful and accomplished acting family in Sweden. Skarsgårds. <laughs> if I'm saying their name right, they seem to just like let's let's give birth to actors and raise <laughs> actors. And he is seems to be the youngest. And um, he was very very good. And the costumes are great. The sets are great. All the actors are good. And it was fun to see a story in Sweden. Yeah. A story. Yeah, a story in Sweden that doesn't involve broad landscape shots with a Volvo driving across them, right? And, and, and the maypole, <laughs> although there was a maypole scene in the <laughs> They couldn't resist the May Festival and um, it's a car wreck as well. Yeah, I got, I got real sick of his antics, um, but... I couldn't stop watching. It was really yes. done. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is the way they told the story is Definitely. very compelling. And so I'm, I'm going to give this one a high recommendation. We'd mm -hmm. like to know what you think about it. Yeah. Uh, Clark on Netflix. Yeah. Check it out. Let us know. Love it. Hate it. What'd you think? I thought it was really good. And what's good is that over the series, uh, there's what, six episodes, is they managed to bring more visual um, variety to it. It's got diverse visual Inventiveness. Um, yeah. 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 So that's good because they didn't just stick with a, sh a shtick, which can be great too. I, you know, I've recommended Wormwood to you many times because of the graphics, but um, partly because of the graphics, but um, they kept it going. It was innovative the whole time. So I really enjoyed that and was glad to hear about it. Hey, how I've watched a lot of stuff this week. How about uh, Pirate Gold on Attic Island? Oh yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's a really odd show, isn't it? Well, it is and it isn't. It's odd in some ways because it's very gentle and and going on, 
but I am a big, big watcher. I, it's hard for me to say I'm a fan, but I guess I'm a fan. I've spent much, if I could get back all the time I've ever spent watching The Curse of Oak Island, <laughs> I'd probably... Well, and this one certainly follows the formula of yeah. all of those types of docs. Yeah. And it's. I looked it up. It's not the same production crew, believe it or not. Um, it's, uh, it's set on an island, I guess. Yep. Uh, off Alaska. Yep. Um, which was a military base for many right. years right. and is full of unexploded ordinances. Yes. That is bombs that could go off. Watch where yes. you're walking, kids. Yes. Um, there's the the army, the American army has abandoned their base. Yep. There's 45 people left on the island. And it's a place where allegedly a pirate <laughs> stopped. He had loot, all the loot and buried the loot in tin cans in yeah. many, many areas on this island. Is this just something made up? I don't well, know. I don't know. What we know is, is that there have been two fines. Uh -huh. There have been two fines <laughs> of, of cans full of gold millions of dollars worth yes. of pirate gold mm -hmm. and we know that gold has been found there i think that's fact. that's true i think we do know gold has been found there I'm, um, so, so, so they the mayor of the town assembled a team of treasure hunters to try to figure out where this treasure is yeah but part of the problem is you can't just go digging everywhere uh because you got to make sure there's no bombs that are going to go off, which <clears throat> yeah. is really an obstacle that's that's that kind of an daunting. And not now, at the bombs. same time, yeah. these guys are. You remember that wonderful British show, The uh, Detectorists? Well, these yeah. guys are detectorists. They're out there on this silly island with metal yeah. detectors, yeah. trying to find stuff. And yeah. just like the detectorists, they find all kinds of useless little trinkets and stuff. But they do find some gold coins they do it, it, it it's hard to believe they found them i kept thinking did i miss a sleight of hand they want to keep their job for net get a second season did they slip a gold coin in there or I mean, did they really find the gold coins I i'm inclined I, to believe that they have i am we, too. since we know that that gold has been found there's gold and there these are not rich guys they can't go around buying a coin i don't think i i, I my impression is they can't they would be in so much trouble if they faked this. Yes. So, you know, I have and, a feeling. Oh, go ahead. And they found this gold right just at the point where there's oh. a fenced off area that says, you better not go past this fence because it's full of unexploded ordinances. Yes. That's the where the gold is. And on the last day that they could dig because before the tundra froze. Yes. So I have a couple of feelings about this because having watched a number of these shows, there's definitely, there's, there's, well, first of all, the first feeling is here's these people on Attic Island and they're looking for treasure. Meanwhile, they have treasure. They have one of the most beautiful places that you exotic you could go visit. If they're having trouble, they want tourists to go there. They want to improve their economy. You know, remember the beer. Did you notice the price of beer? A case of Takati was 65 bucks or something <laughs> because they're taking it to Alaska and then Alaska is obviously sending it to them so they could make money by being a beautiful spot for environmental tourism and yes. they've but got they do no warn you that you're not allowed to dig 
they do warn you, but you don't have to have special them. dispensation to date. You, didn't you find it absolutely stunningly beautiful? It was gorgeous. Yeah, that's the treasure right there. You yes, of course, the of course, that's the treasure. Yes. So then the second part is, you know, when we watch these shows like Curse of Oak Island, I watched another one, Skinwalker Ranch, who is done by the same people who did uh, Curse of Oak Island, by the way. Um, and it's about is there paranormal activity in a Utah ranch i don't know the answer yet um so when you watch these what you find out about when they dig and they find these weirdo objects both on attic island and and oak island you you can open up a little tiny museum and and research you start to find out what whalers used and and sealers used you start to find out what the u.s military has done to the the planet yes and i think all of these shows yeah what we learned from that show that was set in minden Yes. Um, that with that yes. lighthearted yes. look uh, where they were searching for um, what was it, Uncle Harry? Uncle Harry, yeah. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter. What matter? Like what matters is the stories. It's the stories. It's the stories that that surround the community and what they think about the history and the treasure and Uncle yeah. Harry or whatever it is. What's really interesting is when people actually start to focus people in the community to talk about this that's yeah. when you start to have a really interesting story exactly whether or not they find gold right exactly because you know they have about there's about five of them and i mean these guys are fantastic they the camera loves them and um you've got dr m who's studied uh, glacier history <laughs> oh yes yeah, she's Yes, I do science. <laughs> and then you've got these two guys who went to high school on Attic Island. They don't live there anymore. They live on the mainland, but they've come back to their high school stomping grounds. And these two are like salvagers and welders. And I, I know they have a job. I saw it on something. They have a shop. And they're very, very physically skilled at running backhoes and, and diggers. And so they're also characters because they're sincere. They, they're hard up for money. They've got families. So you start to find out who these guys are. And you find out that the mayor, at one point, someone was looking for the treasure uh, what, 20 years ago and they, or 10 years ago, and they went missing. And it took that they found a body seven years later and the mayor had to go and retrieve the body yes. from this gulch or this, they called it a ravine. I was like, yes. I don't they, know. That's and they think that this guy my... was on the heels of the treasure, on like, yes. looking for the yes. treasure. And then you find out that this poor mayor had to sever the body up because they couldn't carry it up the mountain. They had to slice it up and carry it up. Man, I would hate to have to do that. That would just really take could. the buzz off an otherwise I good afternoon, know if wouldn't I it? Could. Oh. oh, oh. But anyway, you know, they returned the body so it could be buried and identified and autopsy, etc. I mean, so you're finding all these things. It, it, you, I couldn't stop watching it. Of course, I watched the whole season because I want to. Did they yeah. find the treasure? And, and they had they? to find enough treasure. To come back next year Definitely. and to bring us back next yes. year yes for sure and it, it made me think i don't know if i've seen the most recent oak island i did see it during the pandemic they had one and i don't know if they've gone back to filming and i mean i feel like i know these two brothers they're kind of like the cohen brothers um they're they're from the same you know area as the cohen brothers they grew up believing in um this treasure on oak island in canada and they bought the land 
they they use some of their retirement fund or whatever to buy the land and get this production company to support them looking for this apparently templar freemason uh, gold that might have been buried there i mean it's a long shot but then they find things that just make you go oh my god there is a connection to templars on oak island it's it's crazy and it, it is about the people these brothers are super charming the people that they then there's um we always laugh about the guy that's the anthropologist and uh um archaeologist on in canada laird l-a-i-r-d is there more of a white name canadian white name than laird <laughs> so and he's really good he always has to give them permission if they can dig wait let me look at this because they, they might find a rock face that could be a fence or stone, or they always have to get permission. So you learn about the permission involved in being a treasure hunt hunter. And then well, yes, and they also have to make part. sure that they do the, all of this safely enough that yes. they don't get themselves blowed up real good. Exactly, exactly. So I did really enjoy it. Skin yeah, I enjoyed it too. I mean, yeah. in a way, um, I can't get too too married to this kind of show, right. too invested in it. Uh, but it was it was enjoyable hearing the stories and and of course these people are getting to know one another as a group too so there's all of those dynamics yeah yeah I know because I'm kind of waiting to see uh, is Dr M is she married or is she going to hook up with one of these guys that's it I was waiting for that too yeah I wasn't sure that she wasn't already with the guy that she went camping with the 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 taller guy who had the um they went out on the boat around the uh, around the island oh right right to the waterfall place but oh my god it's so beautiful you know what they could have a tourist uh income just getting the sea gypsies to go visit them <laughs> <laughs> it could be a, a station for the sea gypsies to camp at and rest up on the in the middle of their other journeys uh yeah so if you like that kind of uh treasure hunt reality show historical. this one's a pretty good one it's well yeah. it's worth watching it's history i'm gonna call it an okay time waster it, it's totally an okay time waster and you know you're gonna eat that bag of chips or a box of cookies or something and uh regret it later but you'll really relax it's very relaxing and sky skinwalker ranch has that same quality where they bring an astrophysicist to this now and i i'm a this this what is it with the the crazy rich people <laughs> the, the crazy rich people that want to be i guess they want to be movie stars they want to have that attention like you know, in some way, you've got them inventing these rockets or going into space. Did you ever see Contact with Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster? No, I did not. Well, it's a must-see film. It's absolutely brilliant. But John Hurt plays a rich guy who has cancer, so he flies around the planet in an aircraft. So, you know, there's like this idea that these, these rich people get these decadent um, things going on. So there's this guy. He owns this ranch in Utah. It's called... You and not I don't know. It's got a funny name. It's a First Nations name, and I can't pronounce it. Um, you and not And um, the myth is that there's ghost walkers there. So ah. cell phones go out of batteries immediately. There's radioactive microwaves. There's uh, light shows, lasers. Oh, so it's it's the Bermuda Triangle. It's the Bermuda Triangle. Got it. It's in the desert or in these mountainous regions of Utah, and. You know, they're trying to, and these guys are so earnest. I'd be like so bored, but it is a magical place. Again, it's the geography. It's gorgeous. You're That's living right. in the most mysterious, beautiful landscape. 
Well, Does remember uh, Utah was in all the all the papers not that long ago when that um, object was found in um, I think it was in Zion. Do you remember there was that 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 great big metal object was I found? I remember, no could... but that was art. We talked about that on the podcast. That was art sculpture. Well, I guess you could call it art. It was something. It, it could have yeah. been space it, aliens. I don't think it's space aliens. I think somebody could made have been. It put it there. Could have been. Could have been. It could, could have been. Be How do you close. know? I don't know. It could be very close to Skinwalker Ranch. And that's the whole premise is you've got to feel that curiosity and like, what if? What if? So Skinwalker Ranch is, you know, less entertaining than both of those other shows, Curse of Oak Island or Addict Island. It's got to be an island, right? <laughs> well, you, you know, really, a treasure hunt should be on an island. I guess it right. should be, be technically pirates. correct. It really ought to be yes. on an island. Yeah, it better be. Uh, yeah. Did you I say politically so. correct? I'm sorry? Did you say politically correct? I'm not sure what I said. Or historically correct? Because I guess we had a problem with Brad Pitt in a movie recently. Oh, yes. We both saw uh, Brad Pitt in his latest film, um, Bullet Train. That's right. And the yeah. controversy was it was taken from a Japanese-based literature and he's not japanese so some people were pretty pissed off about that they were pissed off because they did an american version of a japanese show yeah they said if it stayed in america they might not have been so pissed off but they were still filming it as if it was japanese like the novel so anyway that was a little controversy in that film that's that's curious that people care about that that's a funny thing well i think it's called representation accurate representation and and interpreting a text and changing the uh the hmm. uh i think that's the it. least of the problems with that movie <laughs> and believe me there are some problems with that movie for instance let's just start with it could use a script right i understand why you think it doesn't have a script i would call it non-linear plot, plot storytelling non-linear it's definitely it had a plot. Oh, oh yeah, minimal, oh yeah. It was a bunch of badniks. Plot. It was very a bunch minimal. of badniks. Yeah, find themselves on this train, yes. really locked on this train, and they're there because of a particularly evil badnik who decided let's get all these other bad guys together, put them on a train, and watch them kill each yes. other. Right? Yes, exactly. Oh boy. Yeah, uh, I call that requiring a script. Yeah. Well, you know, and I call it nonlinear story storytelling because they're not going to, and which is very popular in um, sacred texts and in Asian texts and anime. So you're going to have okay. all those flashbacks. And you're going to have all those interruptions like a Quentin Tarantino, where they're going to tell a backstory. Um, so I, I get the, yeah. I get the, uh, the doing the, the American version yeah. of an Asian yeah. film uh you know that's been done many times before many seven times. samurai became yep. the magnificent seven yeah um i'm okay with that i think yep. that it is it's very respectful in a way to the the original yeah and i'm gonna say that what this one is really strongly influenced by is trained to busan the korean film uh, but it just doesn't have zombies Right. It would be improved that. with zombies. If you put 5,000 zombies on that train. Yeah. 
given that you're not going to have a script, it would be way more interesting yeah. than the characters that they actually had. Well, they were banking on the characters they had. I found all the characters super charming. I think that there was a problem with some of the pacing. You're right. It could have used a bit more script. Um, and maybe you're never going to believe this. I could have done it with it a little bit shorter. <laughs> I'm not usually one to complain about the length of a movie. I thought it was. That's my job. It's that's uh, really, job. that's my role. On the I podcast. usually don't care. Now, what I did like about this movie, I thought it was lots of fun. The characters were amazing. I love the train. I love the set direction. I liked all the backstories, all the acting. It just had a little bit of a, I, I'm going to give it nine out of 10. Its whole its whole deal was combine crazy amounts of gratuitous violence with all the slow motion blood gushing and violence you possibly can with witty repartee. I was gonna say, don't forget right? the witty repartee. Yeah, and it's like, oh please, repartee. just please, please on the on the the witty repartee. Yeah, I love all that. I love all that. But you know, you know what? and I felt I got to tell you, I felt ripped off. <laughs> because I was going for Sandra Bullock, okay? Yeah, yeah. And really, she's like a voice on the phone, True. and she gets like 10 seconds watching her car get smashed at yeah. the end of the film. Rip off. Rip know, off. Sorry, it's a cameo. Sorry. I wanted I wanted full-on Sandra Bullock yeah, in this film. Yeah. It, it With dialogue and everything. It would have been fun to have her come on that train a lot sooner, I think. She um, would have taken care of those bad guys. I'm telling you. It's interesting because Chatham, Tady, Tatum Chan, Channing has a cameo in it as as a, a on the train. And he's in a movie with Sandra Bullock and Brad Pitt on Netflix called The Lost City. So I thought that was kind of crazy. They must just really like, let's all be in a movie together again. Um, That's so Hollywood pals. That's so charming. Hollywood pals, yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, it. Okay. I'm, getting, I'm gonna give it eight or ten out of there. It's eight out of ten. It's certainly, you know, and I I think it was a lot of fun. I wished I had a bag of chips and a beer. I didn't prepare for that. That would have been more fun. I um, had a beer. We saw it at the VIP. I had a beer and some nachos. Yeah. And it's really a beer and nachos kind of movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Brad Pitt was fine. He could be charming as all get out. He's totally and charming. His witty repartee. Um, and his character of somebody who stumbles through his life as an assassin and yeah. um, whatever else other bad things that that he did for whatever bad reasons he did them. Um, I thought there was some good humor in it, not as much as I would like, maybe not fall down humor. But there's there was a lot of stuff good... about luck and fate, which was kind of odd. I wasn't really sure where they were going with that. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, I liked it when he was, um, you know, trying to figure out his metaphysical and his um, mystical experiences. Those were funny parts where Brad Pitt was like that. In general, it did not have a profound payoff of tying that all together. And that might have actually been kind of interesting if they did. It's not everything everywhere all at once. No, it's not. No, it's it not. Definitely not. It's definitely not. Um, I mean, it had its. I'm going to say it had its moments. Totally. Some of the action sequences were totally. fine. I mean, there Train. were there were bits Train. and pieces in the film which really perked me up, caught my attention. Mm -hmm. um, me it was too. Nice, of course. To start with, I should really like this film. A, it was in a train, which is just like a submarine. Right. Okay, except that it's not underwater. Same thing, though, right? Yeah. So, so you've got like Train to Busan, Snowpiercer, uh, yeah. all the submarine movies, right? You put 
you put all your characters in a confined space mm-hmm. and and have them all interact and yeah. and do everything in which uh, one of the characters is the train. Yes. Now, right. I would not compare it to Train to Busan. I would compare it to taking a Pelham one, two, three. Both versions. Though I love oh, both. Oh, I would not. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Well, not because, because. Oh, why? Because taking a Pelham one, two, three had uh, first and foremost a story. Yes, I. But I, I, I meant not comparing it to being like it. But I would not hold it against Train to Busan. I would hold it against taking a Pelham one, two, three. If I'm going to choose a yardstick, I wanted the yardstick to be more appropriate, Pelham 123. And that's where they should have had on ground tension again, had some conflict of more than just the train doors opening and closing. Well, because because they didn't they didn't make you care about Brad Pitt's character. Oh, I cared about him. I didn't care about him. Um, I was happy to I get totally the winning repartee. I mean, that was great. I really didn't care about him, though. It didn't matter to me at all what, what really happened to him. I was more, I found that more compelling were the twins. The twins were delightful. They were lovely. You know, the the, the twins, they, they called them the twins, but of course, they didn't look at all no, like one another. What's funny is that I didn't know who made this movie. I thought it was might have been Guy Ritchie in the middle of it. Because it had Guy Ritchie stuff all over it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, that's who I thought it was. And when I got out, I was like, looked it up. And I was like, whoa, whoa that's amazing. Does Guy Ritchie care that somebody made a Guy Ritchie film? <laughs> but I'm being really hard on it. It's a, so, it's a fun so you gave it, you're giving it like an eight out of 10. Yep. I'm going to give it a five out of 10. Fair enough. I think it's worth a summer afternoon um, on a hot day going to escape the uh, heat and watching it. I'm going to say, um, like my, my benchmark there is Train to Busan, okay. and I loved Train to Busan ten times more in all respects yeah. than than this. Yeah. And in part, Brad Pitt gives you everything you expect from him, mm-hmm. and it's all fine. You don't know what to expect in, in you know Train to Busan. Oh, that's true. And plus, you have. You have like the zombies come from absolutely anywhere and they're equal opportunity killers, right? Um, I I would say it's not nearly as good as that film, but that's a film that I would give, you know, I would give a nine out of 10 to both of the Busan films. Yes, me too. Me too. Definitely. If not. Um, So I don't complain that, that they're appropriating the Asian culture at all. I think that's, that's fine. You're welcome to do your, your take on, on that. That's okay. We don't get to give anybody permission to do that. We're not, that's not our story. That's up to Japanese association to decide whether or not they can appropriate. It's not up to white people to decide it. Right. That's not our, I understand. It's not our, our opinion means nothing on that. I, I'm quoting a Japanese um, association that has complained about representation in film. And they're the ones that are um, unhappy with them casting a white guy instead of a, an Asian person. And so it doesn't matter what you and I think. It's really up to the people who are representing themselves what they feel. Yeah, right? that's fine that they can hate that. But white people think about that of of cultural appropriation or what we think of representation doesn't matter it's not up to us it's up to japanese well um, they 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 can have what do you mean it's it's not up to us it's I don't not understand our that. opinion our opinion doesn't matter on that 
It's, of course it does. Everybody's opinion matters. Well, I don't know if it does, actually. I, I'm not sure it does. I mean, it might it might matter a little bit, but me saying I'm okay with it is not addressing the issue. The issue is that people who are watching, it's like um, LGBT representatives in media, they, they, they reward Survivor because Survivor always has uh, gay characters on it. Um, if you took a gay character in a novel and made them straight, the LGBT media watch groups would be pissed off. And it wouldn't matter if I said it was okay. I could go, That's well, okay. I like the movie and it's okay, but it's really up to the people whose representation is being stolen from them. And they feel that it's mm. been stolen from them. I don't know. I'm throwing that out there. I could be wrong. I could totally. I, I, I think that if they feel that it's been stolen from them, that their feelings are real and they're yes. welcome, I yes. think, to have that reaction. Right. And uh, as but, allies, we, we support But them. I think it's also perfectly legitimate for the filmmakers to make this film and cast whoever the hell they want in it. And if everybody hates it, and if the if the <laughs> Japanese people hate it, good, that's fine. That's that's yeah. fine. They don't have to go see it, right? They can yeah. criticize it loudly. Yeah. Yes. Loudly. Yes. They do. And uh, and maybe they'll 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 um they'll see more of the representation that they want to see. Right. But you know, we live in the World Museum and and I have a real problem with the idea that if I wrote a novel, for instance, if I wrote a novel, could I not write a, a novel with a female character? That's not what we're talking about. If they make a movie out of it and they cast a man, there's a problem. People, some people. They cast be, a woman as Bob Dylan in a film. In a film with several people playing Bob Dylan. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't care about that. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. They can cast whoever they want, as far as I'm concerned. Fair, but the people are making movies, make whatever novel, movies you want, right? whatever books loved, you want. The women who loved your novel and bought it and then went to see the movie and saw a guy cast it, they're going to be pissed off. Fair enough. And they may not go to see any more of my movies. <laughs> it wouldn't be your movie. It would be the filmmaker's movie who bought the rights to your book and changed the content right. of your novel. Right. Casting. So. It's a it's a fan thing. It's a representation argument, and and we're not the ones being misrepresented. Yeah, I understand the argument. Um, I'm just challenging the argument to some degree. I respect and that the makes argument. Life exciting, and that makes and, life and I I think that there's, I think that argument is strong sometimes. Other times, less so. Uh, but I, I don't think that. Anyone can tell the filmmakers that you can't do that. They can cast whoever the hell they they're want. They're not saying you can't do that. No they're one's saying we they don't like it do. or we're angry about it. That's fine. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And maybe they're right. Yeah. Uh, it um, might even go to the point of being racism. It might even be racist to do that. I don't know, but it could hmm. be. It could be hmm. sexist to change a gender of a character into a movie. I don't know. Of a, if you made Tess of the Durbervilles a guy, I don't know. You, you might have a hard time selling that. <laughs> yeah. Right. You may you may have a hard time making it making it successful, making it work, making it yeah. believable. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to say for sure. I grew up watching how many different cowboy movies that had Italian guys or or Arab guys as First Nations people. As opposed to casting first, but you're Asian not a people. minority person. You're not an minority. Right? So I mean, I think I think that's wrong. I think they should they should have 
cast the First Nations people. Of course they should have. Right. Do I respect the right to cast whoever the hell they want? Well, yeah. Um, I could criticize it. I don't have to go see the movie. Right. I could I could look back at all of those films that did that and say, that's really a shame that they did that. Um, you know, I could celebrate that we're we're seeing more um Asian actors cast in in large films these days it than we did better. 20 years ago. Yes. Um, it's so it's more reflective of the world that we live in. And I think that that's really, really good. In in this particular case, I don't think there's a lot to be angry about. I want to see if I can actually just find what they said um, while we're here. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that's fine, but ultimately it doesn't come down to you and I whether we think it's fine or not. We're not the opinion that matters on this topic of this film. It's about representation and whether Hollywood would give money to the idea that you can't sell a movie with Asian uh, central leading characters. And we're beginning to find out that that's not true. We can. So sure. to see Brad Pitt, sure. I think, but was offensive to them when... I think it's too bad that it's offensive to them. Um, really? I, I don't know what to say beyond that. All right. Well, uh, I can't find it right now. I'll find it later. I, my computer won't let me open it up. <laughs> you know, I, I think the fact that that the Brad Pitt character wasn't played by an Asian person was the least of the film's problems. I know. I that's way, funny. Way that is now. funny. That is very funny. And I understand you on that level. <laughs> um, and I certainly respect the people who feel that, oh, that's terrible. There should be there should be an Asian uh, character okay. well maybe an asian director that will, will do redo uh, do a remake of it with with all asian actors i don't know here's what we i have here is that uh katari Isaka's novel they did not like changing their they were japanese and um the executive director of the japanese american citizens league criticized the castings explaining that while the American adaptation would have been appropriate if the setting took place in the United States, the filmmakers chose to keep the novel's Japanese setting while keeping Japanese characters in the film's background, strengthening charges of whitewashing. Uh, whitewashing, a uh, whitewashing, I can't see this word. Is it? Oh, Inu also questioned the actor's allyship to the Asian community for knowingly accepting whitewashed roles and further criticized the film for pushing the belief that Asian actors in leading roles cannot carry a blockbuster. Okay, well, there's there's the criticism. So at least I found what I was reading before. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And I think it's a topic that's got to be very painful when you want to be represented and to find that Hollywood does not think that they're going to pay for that. And I mean, this is, this has been happening forever. You know, you can find this on every level when Hollywood wants to spend money on a movie, they're going to put a, the biggest actor they can into it. They won't well, of make course, it. They want to hedge do. their bets. They're just, they won't, they won't even make the movie unless they it's have It's a that. very conservative community. Financially conservative. Yes. Yes, it is a very financially conservative community. I, I agreed. So I'm not saying that that the people who are criticizing this film because of the casting are wrong. I right. totally respect that. Right, right. Um, I just think that in this case, it doesn't. Well, you're saying it's, it's, film... it's such a not very special movie in so <laughs> many respects that it just doesn't 
doesn't really matter. I think if I think if maybe an Asian director is going to come up with another take on that book, totally, that would be totally. more interesting that totally. way and totally. more respectful. And I hope that that happens. I hope but, so. Too. But you know, just to say, oh, there should have been a, a an Asian actor there. Well, just don't go see the movie. That's what I say. Well, I think they were saying you shouldn't have taken the part. <laughs> ah, well, that's interesting. That's a different question. He said that he thought they were aiding, that he has to question their characters, their 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 claim to be allyship if they would take a role that's whitewashing uh, narrative. Anyways, I mean, yeah, these are tough questions and they're important questions and important discussions. I thought the film was fun. I think your criticism is very funny that that's the least of the problem with the film. And hopefully the Japanese American Citizens League will go, hey, we dodged a bullet train. <laughs> yeah. Only yeah, I mean, if, if the film was a Brad Pitt vehicle and I don't think they would get, I don't think that they they would have without having Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock's name on this film. I don't think they would have dragged me out to see it based right. on any kind of description of this movie. Right. Fair enough. Right. So I think Fair we enough. went because we went because of the magnetism of the of the stars that we know and love. Right. Well, I mean, that's great. what dragged me out there. Well, you know what, that, that's a great segue to something I've just been watching, which is fantastic. I have two episodes left. It's a mini series on HBO, Crave in Canada, called The Last Movie Stars. And I cannot recommend it enough. It's absolutely fascinating. It's, it is from a different era. It is Paul Newman and Joe and Woodward's marriage and working history. Um, he was going to, Paul Newman was going to write a memoir and he got all of his friends to uh, record things they wanted to add to the memoir. Once he had those recordings, he gave up and he didn't want to do the memoir anymore for whatever reason. Maybe he was horrified at his, his idea to write the story. Who knows? But he did. So someone in the family asked Ethan Hawke, can you make this into a documentary for us or into a movie or something? And Ethan Hawke said, yeah, okay. And they said, well, we lost all those tapes. Turns out Paul Newman had had them transcribed. So they have different actors reading the different storylines. Um, they have um, Vincent D'Onofrio reading. I can't oh, remember. Oh, so they have transcriptions, but they don't have the Correct. actual. Yes. Okay. Yes. So they got different actors like uh, Oscar Isaac to appear, Sam Rockwell, um, different people. Laura Linney reads Joanne Woodward's parts. Sally Field plays her, reads her mother's parts, I think, something like that. They have a variety of actors of Ethan Hawke, and it's all done during the pandemic. So most of the pre-discussions and, and analysis happen on Zoom meetings. Okay, so you've the Zoom camera has recorded all these um, meetings. And it is compelling. They have tons of, um, of movie footage. Um, they show all kinds of excerpts from both of their careers. Um, you know how we were talking about when you stay home from sick and you school sick and you see some movie. And I said it was the uh, one of mine was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another one was the Three Faces of Eve, which scared the living shit out of me. Again, um, why are they playing these movies in the daytime? <laughs> so that's a, about a woman who has three personalities and Joanne Woodward won an uh, Oscar for it. And I still have these strange memories of this movie. Anyway, um, they go through their career when they met as um, 
understudies on, on Broadway in New York City. They had a love affair for five years while he was still married. And he had a wife and three kids. And then they eventually got married and had three kids. And some of the fallout from that, they interview the kids are on some of the Zoom meetings. And um, Stay just wants to know if I've made it to the salad dressing yet. And I have not made it to the salad dressing yet. <laughs> but this is a beautiful documentary. And it is, they're complex people. They're very complex people. And Paul Newman said that he would, he was never the sex symbol, but Joanne Woodward created that. And um, I think he's, I think that's a fair analysis because you see these clips of him when he was young and he was pretty nerdy. He really didn't seem to be in tune with um, his masculinity and um, his aura and his good looks. I mean, he might've known he was good looking, but he didn't know how to work it. And I guess they decided <laughs> to, you know, and there was also something funny, Ethan Hawke says something very interesting about Joan Woodward. Um, is that her generation, and I think it was him saying it, I don't know who said it, because there's so many people quoted in this, that um, for her generation of acting, um, there's two actresses involved, because in society, all women were actors back then. They had to, to maintain their roles and to fit into society and be, um, be support themselves cope as a coping skill they were actors so i thought that was a very interesting thing to say um the footage and the clips from these movies is just incredible you do feel like they really are in incredible movies there's a lot of tennessee williams um who i i love tennessee williams i love cat in a hot tin roof with um elizabeth taylor and Paul Newman. I usually am not a drama person, but in old movies, I love these dramas. And then you've got Tennessee Williams and the whole movie is like a mystery. Like what's wrong with these people? Why are they so stressed out? Um, what's happening? And you slowly get that revealed through the play. So, um, oh, this is just an incredible documentary. I hope you check it out, Eugene. I will check it out probably right after we finish oh, with Clark. I, I think you'll enjoy it just mainly because who can resist those movie clips? That'll, it's so compelling to see these movies chosen. And then you've, they've got a lot of family footage. You have the scandal of their relationship. And then on top of all that, you have two people who are artists being married. They're both incredibly devoted to their art and to being creative personalities and creative people. It's, it's, a, it's really a stunning piece of work. And Ethan Hawke has done a great job with his buddies pulling this together. Um, it could not have been easy and it's very weird how they do it, but you get right into it because it's, it's a Zoom meeting. It's, mm, a, it's like the world's best Zoom meeting. <laughs> that, that's, that's interesting. I wonder how people are responding to that mm. uh, because uh, I know for the most part, I'm pretty sick of Zoom meetings. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, this being the exception. I think you've got Sally Field. You have Laura Lindley, you have Sam Rockwell, Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio. He does a great thing in it where Ethan says, can you show us where you just say a line? And then when you say a line, and I mean, Stay came running in from the other room, like, he goes, oh my God, I believed him. Like he does, like, you could act like this or you could act. And he shows you what method acting is. And I mean, he's a, such a brilliant actor. He is probably one of the most underused, important actors ever. You know, he's the guy from uh, Criminal Intent, Law and Order, Bobby Gorin. Mm, I, I don't him. know who that is. Yeah, he. he always, I'm sure I would recognize him, but you he's know. like Sherlock Holmes meets um. Uh, 
I don't know who else. <laughs> Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud. Let's leave it like that. There is a movie with Sigmund Freud and Sherlock Holmes, you know, I think it's called Murder by Decree or The 7% Solution. The 7% sure. Solution. You are not a Sherlock Holmes fan. So forget I even mentioned this. Oh, I've, I've seen The 7% Solution. <laughs> I've actually seen it twice. Um, you know, that's that's really uh, that's the story of uh, of Sherlock's paranoia that that his math math professor was out to get him. Right. Yes. And, and uh, cocaine fueled. Yes. Um, and it was really a pretty good movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Nicholas it really Myers was. It was I'm certainly my favorite of the uh, of the Sherlock Holmes. I, I would say I'm with, you. I'm with you on that. I find that the Sherlock Holmes formula is so stifling. It's really hard to beat it. <laughs> I can't even read. I've tried. You know, one day oh. I thought, well, I'm going to just try to read through some Sherlock Holmes oh, they stories. Are they're archaic. You won't. Yeah. And. Yeah, they're just really not not very interesting. Very old fashioned, and the style is old fashioned. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Whereas Dickens, I I can read a Dickens. Isn't I, that I interesting, huh? Yeah. Dickens is very readable. Very readable, yeah. And I think yeah, Sherlock he he just had a different style. I when I read them, I loved them. I was into it, but you know, I think they are more difficult to read than uh, definitely Dickens and other peers. You know, Tom. I love all that uh, era of literature, kind of Victorian era, and uh, but Sherlock Holmes is a little more dry. He's better interpreted into as a character in a movie, much better. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I hope you watch and I hope you like it. I think you, I can't see how you won't because of these clips and just to see, you're going to want to watch all these movies. Hmm, that could be the case. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see it. I'd like to, I'd like to see it for sure. And the other thing I watched, oh, I watched so much stuff this week, was The Most Hated Man on the Internet. He is a vile person who in 2012 was... That's what it's called? Yep. He was posting any pictures that people would submit to him or steal, and of nudity, of gross acts, um, all kinds of terrible, terrible things. And he could not be stopped. Parents were trying to get him to stop. And it's the journey of a mother who... Um, her daughter's picture is posted that she only sent off of her phone to her email. So there's a suspicion of a hacking. And it takes the FBI quite a while to eventually go and check out this guy. And they do find out whether or not there was hacking. And at one point, this mother gets a phone call or a message from Anonymous. And Anonymous is one of my favorite, favorite peoples in the world. They are hackers who are really ethical and they will break into, I still don't know why can't they find out some shit on Trump or something. Right. Speaking of which. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's play. <laughs> will Trump be charged? You know, I'm going to say no. And I want it so badly. I want it so bad that I thought I had to wake up this morning and go to church because I'm, I'm going to be a bad person by wanting people shamed. Well, I mean, the events of yesterday, the FBI raiding Mar-a-Lago was well, very exciting. they just put in there with a warrant. I call it's, that a raid. Yeah, okay. Trump calls it a raid. Um, so they went in. Historic. They must have had something specific they were looking for. Yeah, they did. Right? So we don't know. Were they in there for 20 minutes? Were they in there for seven hours? I know. We did don't they know. rip the place apart? Or did they just open up the safe and take out the documents that they wanted and leave? I know. I right. Know. We really don't know the answer to 
to that. Uh, and what they're, they would have had to have had a warrant that said they were looking for something specific, which yes. meant that they couldn't, if they found the something specific where they thought it was, they probably didn't have the permission of the court to go and rip the place apart to find all the other goodies that I'm sure he has there. Why would he take in these boxes? I, I don't understand. You, you asking me to, to, to uh, be able to explain Donald Trump? Well, okay. For, okay. You're right. He's a squirrel. You're never going to, we're never going to be able to explain him. But well, first of all, take them because you didn't want anyone to see the content. But why wouldn't you burn them? He has a fireplace in Mar-a-Lago, I am sure. I just, I don't it's understand. always a problem getting rid is. of the evidence, right? Is it? Right. I mean, like how many times, how many times is the bad guy like throw his gun off the bridge and instead of landing in the river, it lands on a barge. I right? guess you're I mean, right. That's just, that's, that's the way of fiction. I guess that's true. And that's why there's not a perfect crime and a perfect criminal because they always make these mistakes. I only sweet baby Jesus, please let him have something that they can actually reveal his character that everybody will that i want to hear people say oh i never voted for him I, that's what i want to hear i want that i want to hear people tell me i i didn't vote for him i mean i didn't like the other guy but i didn't vote for him yeah well 70 million people did and you know i mean he's the poster boy for the downward spiral that spiral that is america right <laughs> uh and well, and Biden's my, not much better my question for our listeners is, uh -huh. can, can America's downward spiral be stopped? Will Trump get charged and will he do time in the Huskow? Um, let's play. Tell us your opinions. And what's the, what's the ticket for healing America? Yeah, I love these questions, Eugene. Wow. So we want your answers. The agency.podcast at gmail.com. And uh, and I'm gonna say I'm willing to read your answers without without comment. That says and here, I want to just hear what you have to say. It's gonna be anonymous, anyways. All right. Thanks for listening. Wait. Oh, wait. Two more things. Two more things. Good. One. Um <laughs> Well, just a couple of brief, a couple of recommendations, yeah. uh, YouTube channel rep recommendations. Oh, I, I mentioned previously um, uh, Ben Zander's videos about the art of possibility. Right. Uh, I've since discovered he has a number of videos up that are music interpretation masterclasses in which he works with an individual musician who will play a piece of music and then they go into this kind of interpretation of the of the the music and mm -hmm. how that the player can go from being a player concentrating on the music to what the music is about and it's fascinating it's even though i am i am not that interested in the music that's being played it's oh even though some in some cases it brings me to tears uh, yeah. i have to say some of the music is just so goddamn beautiful it just i i can't listen to it without uh welling up wow. uh, but what's fascinating though is is the discussion about interpretation of music i think it's absolutely riveting and i want to highly recommend that um, and as well i'm always talking about fiddle music here i want to recommend another channel it's called morgan grace music morgan grace is a 15 year old metis left-handed fiddler okay 
she is going to be something. Give that, give that girl a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's a prodigy. She's doing really fantastic. She just posted a, a, a video yesterday or the day before that, uh, that features um, uh, Métis step dancing mm-hmm. um, with her playing fiddle and her piano player is one of one of Canada's greatest fiddle players, Patty Kusterock. Mm. Anyway, fantastic channel. I highly recommend it. Right. Um, check it out. Go check out Morgan Grace, fiddler to watch for in the future. Fantastic. That's all I got. All right, great. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Yeah.